stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm actually joined by a guest, by Zach's senior strategist, Kevin Cook. And he's here to talk about the strategies to help us be a better long-term stock investor. Because it's harder than you think to buy and hold. The average time for most investors to hold a stock is now 18 months or less. So not even two years. This is why a few years ago, before the coronavirus pandemic, I had a hard time finding anyone who owns some of the big tech winners for even 10, 20, or 30 years. And forget about buying that IPO and holding. I didn't find any of those. Although some in the financial media did manage to find at least one person who was willing to come forward and say that they bought the Apple IPO back in the 1980s and never sold. But it's pretty rare to find someone who's even bought even recent IPOs. So for example, Facebook, Facebook IPO'd in 2012, so we're only in the ninth year. It seems like longer, but it's only nine years since that IPO. Those shares are up 769% since the IPO, and that was one of the biggest and hottest IPOs ever at the time when it went IPO in 2012. Everybody was buying, and even here at Zach's, I was writing articles about how people were buying it to put in their children's college fund and things like that. But how many still own Facebook after they bought that IPO? Are you still in it just nine years later? And why is it so hard to stay in a stock? So I brought Kevin on board today because he he's telling me he has some kind of magic secret sauce that now helps you and me and all of us to stay in a stock instead of uh, giving into our worst impulses and selling some of these great companies. So welcome, Kevin. Hey, Tracy. Yeah, I don't know if it's a magic secret sauce, but it's something that I have found really helps me and it took me a long time to learn it, but I think it can help other people too. Okay, good. That's what we all need because it is pretty grim out there. I, I keep seeing things where you know someone might own uh, one of the stocks for six months and then they're wondering, you know, because it hasn't done anything, it hasn't gone anywhere in those six months and they're like, oh, maybe I should sell this and get out of it because I'm only up 2% or whatever it is. And that's that's not long-term investing. That's a pretty no. short term. <laughs> no. So do you want me to jump into some examples that I think sort of tell the tale? Yeah. Okay. So obviously the corona crash freaked everybody out and i'm not talking about the the pandemic i'm talking about the the crash in the stock market yes <laughs> uh so it made life difficult for lots of investors yes um now but look how quickly the market you know shook it off right we we knew we were going to, into this recession that sort of a a forced recession when you shut down all these businesses and everybody's out of work and unemployment, you know, spikes. But um, but the stock market came back pretty quick, almost as if it was a it, it was pricing in a flash recession that was going to be over soon enough. 
And then there was the other element that nobody really predicted. And that was that, um, that software would just explode because, you know, everybody's working from home. Um, just, you know, all these stocks took off. And so you started to sort of see that trend and you could, you could jump on board. The one thing now, now maybe some people predicted the software resurgence. What I, what very few people predicted was the, the semiconductor bounce back, right? Where like, I thought after the trade war, supply chains would be shut down even worse with the Corona pandemic. And then semis just started to move too. So you had to jump in there quick. Now, so aside from software and semis, I'm going to give you one example of a stock that really got away from me. And that is Align Technology, the maker of the Invisalign clear dental straighteners. Okay. What's the ticker on that one? ALGN. Okay. Um, As you probably know, and we've talked about the company before, you know, I've been a big fan of this company for several years, let's say going back at least four years. And just because of the growth opportunity, you know, that they were, they, they had some patent battles like with smile direct and, you know, partnership issues, and there was going to be competition, but they were the clear leader, uh, pun intended. And, um, and, and I always looked at the international opportunity, you know, because it, it's not just the clear aligners, it's that they could do everything digitally. So imagine um, people in remote areas in India or China who could have access to a digital scan of their mouth and then have shipped to them a clear aligner. I mean, to me, that, that, that just looked like a huge market opportunity that would make Align terrific. Well, of course, um, I got panicked out of Align shares probably even before the the Corona crash, I got panicked out, uh, you know, like near 200 bucks. It's trading 600 now. Wow. Let me give you another one. Um, CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike is uh, cybersecurity and they have uh, some special methods and proprietary tactics for protecting companies from say ransomware or, or other nefarious um, you know, inter- internet ploys. This was a stock that had gotten beaten down from its IPO back down to $50. And I did a lot of homework here and I thought, man, this thing's a steal at 50 bucks. And we bought it and we made a little bit of money. And then we got flushed out of it below 40 bucks during the Corona crash trading new highs above 250 right now. Uh. Now the, I'll, I'll stop with those two examples right now and let, let's see if you have one. Uh, I've got more, but the main message I want to say is, you know, there's thousands of stocks out there and, and, and companies, you know, we like think about companies and industries. You know, if you're a fundamental investor, you're looking, Hey, what is this industry? And does this company have a competitive edge? When you take the time to do the homework on a company and its stock, you know, you, you I think that you, have an edge. And that edge is that you have conviction and you have focus. When, when millions of investors are getting distracted by the thousands of other stocks, you have an edge over them because you're looking at it, that stock going sideways at a, at an 
you know, some kind of value level. And you're like, this is going to work. This is eventually going to pan out. And that's what I believed with Align and CrowdStrike. But I didn't stick to my guns. Um, you know, and you don't need 50 stocks to be a winning investor, right? Right. You, <laughs> you can do it with 20 or 25 if yeah. if you do your homework. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the key thing is you you shouldn't have 50 stocks. That that would be too many for most investors. Um, yeah, I have some of these stories, too, around the coronavirus sell off. So um, many people know that I've been in RH, formerly known as Restoration Hardware, in my own personal portfolio for a number of years. And I'm a big uh believer in the CEO there, Gary Friedman, and what he's doing with the company. So, and I listen to the conference calls, so I'm aware of what's going on with their business. But on the coronavirus sell-off, I did decide to sell a portion of my shares, um, mainly because I wanted some cash on hand, given the uncertainty and what we didn't know, you know what might happen in the next several months uh, or and through the end of the year. So I felt like having some cash was better than no cash. During oh my goodness, I'm looking at the chart right now. I see where this is going. <laughs> right, and so I think I sold around $200 and it's almost, well, it has been as high as $700 now. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a pretty, you know, um, bad decision, it turns out, to sell some of those shares. But uh, I do have to say I did I did take that cash, as I thought I might do, and I did redeploy it into several other things that have, have rebounded, have had a nice rally as well. So it wasn't all for the not, um, but I, it, it was, you know, um, not a good decision. Yeah, and you, they and, just dest and they just destroyed that stock during the Corona crash. I mean, it went from yeah. 250 down to 75. Yeah. Like, you know, panicking everybody. Like you probably felt lucky at first that you got out at 200. I did. Yeah. <laughs> when, it went, exactly. when it went below 100. <laughs> right. Right. So anyone who was paying attention and could get in then, um, that was a smart thing to do at that time. But I guess that's the other thing, too. If, you know, there's no do-over. I can't go back and undo it. But um, I have, even in the value investor portfolio, we had to sell out of a number of things on the on the coronavirus sell-off too, just to contain our losses as well in that portfolio. And some of the holdings, I said, you know, we're just containing our losses here, but we're probably going to get back in. And I I was able to get back in to a couple things at uh, you know pretty good levels when we got back in. So, you know, that's that's always a thing, too, that just if you do end up, you know, panicking and getting out, there's nothing that says you can't buy again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what did you what what was your experience with NVIDIA during that whole time period? Did you own it in any of your portfolios? Because I know you've been in and out of that one, right? And yeah, that's I, had an interesting kind of year and a half here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was always a big NVIDIA fan and probably trading in and out of it. Um, and that was the that was the one thing I did right during the corona crash. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> While I was getting knocked out of other things, I happened to be 
not long NVIDIA. And I said, man, we got to buy this at 200. And we did. Um, and so that, you know, that was a, me. If I talk about, you know, having a homework and research edge and having conviction and focus, that's the one place I did it right was, was buying NVIDIA during that crash. And, and just because I had such strong conviction there about, you know, how they were dominating in their industry. Are you still in it then? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, in fact, we just added more, uh, a couple of months ago, um, below 540 and, um, and that's turned out well as the stock makes new highs above 750. So yeah, I was going sideways there for a while and I'm like, you know what, this is, this thing is not done. There's such a powerhouse now uh, in data center. Data center is going to overtake gaming. Gaming is still their biggest revenue source, but data center is growing three times faster. And, uh, you know, it'll, it's going to overtake it this year. And, you know, this, this company will do, uh, you know, 25 billion in revenues next year or probably this year. Um, but it could be doing 40 billion in a couple of years. And wow. so I want to keep buying that growth. Um, well, I just got an, I, I just I, got an email this morning here. I want to, I want to read this email to you. It's really short um, from somebody who follows me. Uh, his name is Tom. And <laughs> this is a guy who knows exactly what we're talking about today about buy and hold. And he's, he's an older investor and he, he goes, Kevin, hope all is well. I've owned Nvidia for about two years now. Is it too late to buy more? <laughs> well, that is, that's a good question though, right? When yeah. You, well, I mean, but, and that's his perspective is like, he's never even thought about selling it. He wants yeah. to know if he should buy more. Yeah. And I just did a, I did a Zach's confidential last night where I re- recommended Nvidia again, but I said, you know, don't buy it up here at 750. Let's, let's see if we get some corrective action, you know, have some bids layered in say at 650. Um, but I, in April, I took my price target to 750, and that was above every analyst on the street. Um, and then they reported another blowout quarter, uh, and then everybody went to 750. Well, then the stock went from 550 to 750 in like two months. Yeah. Um, so I've raised my price target again for uh, for 900 this year, and. And possibly, I mean, we're going to see quadruple digits. Nvidia will be a, well. It's going to split here soon, so that uh, <laughs> so well, it's going to do a four for one split. So uh, maybe that's another people, another reason people are are diving in. Yeah. Uh, so now, but yeah, I, I think it's a long term hold. Obviously, my uh, my customer Tom thinks so too. <laughs> yeah, but. What did you do and what did you tell everybody in your service who was holding on to it, including Tom, over all of those months where it didn't go anywhere or do anything and actually kind of weakened for a while there and looked like yeah. it might break down? Because I owned it, I I think I bought it in November of last year um, in the Insider Trader. 
because there was an insider who was buying it around $500. And I was like, okay, we're getting in here. And then it was just treading water all those months, not going anywhere. Then it kind of broke down. I don't, I don't remember if we sold for any gain. I think we did, but it was very small. But I yeah. told them, like, we only have a one to three month hold period in that portfolio. And I held past the three months. Oh, that was it. That was for insider. Yes. Yes. And I didn't believe it would break out. And I even told everybody, hey, if you have a longer term horizon, you should be holding on to NVIDIA here. And I'm trusting the insider who kept buying around $500 that, you know, that it was still going to go higher. But right. what do you what did you tell everybody in in your service as it just kind of treaded water? Because it wasn't just like a two or three month treading. It was like six months where it went nowhere. And that's like seems like forever when yeah. you buy a stock. Yeah. So for me, this was one of those rare instances where I had done so much homework on the industry and looking at the future of artificial intelligence and then looking at how Jensen Wong, the CEO, was was creating stuff that just was, I mean, nobody could touch what they were doing in terms of hardware and software stacks. You know, their 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 yeah. platform is called CUDA, which stands for Compute Unified Device Architecture. I had done so much homework, I was never scared of owning Nvidia above five hundred dollars. In fact, I kept telling my people, listen, if when we get a dip to four fifty, we're going to double our position, and it never got to 450, but I was telling people, Let, we got to be buyers under 500. And finally, I just had to pull the trigger and bought. We bought more at like 535 before it ripped here. And so, so this was the one rare case where I had done enough research that my conviction was extremely high. Yeah. Um, and and we'll see this when I talk about some other investors in in that area. Okay. Um, because I, th I feel like people are having the same kind of wavering issue with Amazon, which is also, you yeah. know, until recently it looks close like it might try to break out here again. But it's <laughs> been a while since it's, you know, hit some new highs and moved higher, even with the tremendous performance during, uh, you know, after that initial sell off in coronavirus and then the shares took off. But over the last six months, they're only up 9.5%. And again, a lot of people start to get a little anxious, like, oh, I missed it. It's done now. Like, that's where I think a lot of people in the buy and hold break down. They buy these momentum stocks. And then for whatever reason, there's like a, a bout of no momentum. And then they're like, okay, I need to get out of this. But how, how does someone stay in do they just not look at it? Do yeah, they, I mean, it. you know, it all depends. You know, as, as when you and I do these podcasts, and we've done these for years, um, during corrections, we always say you have to have a plan. Right. But during just general bull market investing that, that we're supposed to be doing, we always ask the question, what's your time horizon? You know, what kind of money is this? And if somebody's in, you know, from let's say $2,000 in Amazon, I mean, what are you really afraid of? Are you afraid of the next recession taking it back to 2000? Or um, are you afraid that, you know, somebody's gonna <clears throat> uh, enter one of their businesses and steal their moat? Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right. I mean, they just made another killer acquisition by buying MGM Studios for $8.5 billion. 
I use that as my my prime example when I pick on the AMC apes. You know, the AMC apes are pushing AMC to a 30 billion valuation and they and based on their price targets they want to see it possibly have a 50 billion dollar market cap. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, this is a movie theater with no content and Bezos just made a steal buying the Bond franchise and everything else for just 8 and a half billion. Yeah. So he's continues to make uh, some smart acquisitions. I don't know how Whole Foods is panning out, but you know, they've got the cash flow. So they can they talk about a long-term perspective, you know. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. Um what about some of these other kind of hot stocks like Shopify? That <laughs> oh. one looks like it's breaking out again here, but it, I'm glad you one, asked. <laughs> yeah, it was it was down double digits at one point here in 2021. Was it? I didn't even notice. Yeah. Um, actually, we were we were buying down there. We were. I was trying to build a position around eleven hundred, and uh, we did pretty good. Um, we we had we started buying around nine hundred uh, last year and took some profits and and really I should have never played with it. And um, and if you want, I will now reveal my secret, and and Shopify is a great example. Okay. Yes. Please. Okay. So you run an insider portfolio where you, you know, you have a discipline and a model where you look at the SEC filings, you run a screen and you find out who's buying what stocks and do they fit, you know, other criteria that you have. Yeah. And you, you know, you have a, you have a consistent model, you run your screen systematically, you know, every week or whenever you do it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember back in like 2014, I was running a portfolio called follow the money. And that was based on looking at the sec filings, the 13 G's and D's, um, especially, you know, 13 F is like just a standard quarterly report, but the 13 G's and D's were like when a large institutional investor, uh, up their position significantly to cross a threshold, like 5% of the company or 10% of the company. And so I, I was systematically tracking what large investors were doing. Now I'd already had a rough inkling that, Hey, it matters what the big guys are doing. What's Buffett doing? What's David Tepper doing? What are the tiger cubs doing? That kind of thing. But when you, when you get sort of systematic about it, um, it can really pay off. And, you know, I, I had some good winners with that portfolio for a while and I then when I stopped running that portfolio and we rolled it into something else, um, I, I wasn't as disciplined about it. I was still paying attention to what large investors were doing, but I wasn't like I wasn't checking, you know, at least several times times a month or 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 systematically every quarter when the right. 13 apps come out 45 days after the end of the quarter. Um, so I was I would say I was loosely paying attention. OK, you know, and. What I've learned is that if I had been, if I had stayed on my discipline of looking at who was buying what and when, I would have, especially in the stocks that I was interested in, you know, like in Align Technology um, or Square. Oh my gosh, I sold some Square during the Corona crash and everybody hated Square and then it finally exploded. Um, And Shopify is a great example. I just went over... Uh, let's see where I can I find this. Oh yeah. So I looked at, uh, so <laughs> I mean, Shopify 
has had a negative PE for forever, right? They don't, they're not making money, um, you know, but the stock just keeps going up. And when you, when you look back at the SEC 13F filings of which large funds were buying, uh, two of my favorite fund managers were buying, and that would be Steve Mandel of Lone Pine Capital, who I followed for years. Uh, when I ran the FTM fund, I followed him into Mobileye, which was the Israeli autonomous driving unit that Intel ended up buying for $15 billion. But Steve Mandel, he was building his Shopify position around $300 in 2019. Now it's a $1,500 stock. Yeah. I didn't follow him then. I looked at it and I looked at it and I looked at him like, this valuation is crazy. 40 times sales? Come on, are you kidding me? <laughs> right. But, but obviously, Steve Mandel saw something in the future. And that's what a lot of these large investors can do when, yeah, yeah, it's not their money, but they are given the task of taking other people's money, other institutions' money, and putting it to work over the long term. Not over the next three months, over the next three years or five years or 10 years. And so Steve Mandel saw something in Shopify that it was going to be a significant e-commerce platform that could take, maybe maybe not take market share from Amazon, but but to take a piece of the, the growing pie, you know, a growing e-commerce pie. And, you know, what a, you know, what a brilliant move that was. The other big investor here is Bailey Gifford, which is like a, um, this is the, 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 uh, old, old investment fund insurance fund from Edinburgh, Scotland, still owned privately by like 30 partners in Edinburgh, 250 billion bucks under management. They are long-term investors. They have been the largest holder of Tesla and they have been the largest holder of Shopify, you know, outside of a black rock or a Vanguard. And in many cases, um, the Bailey Gifford positions in Tesla and Shopify exceeded what a blank, what a BlackRock or a Vanguard were doing, and they are they are uber long term investors. They look at what could this company be ten years from now, and they and they're not afraid to just hold on and buy the dips, and that's the kind of that's where you can if you've done the homework and you need to sort of beef up your conviction in in the idea. Yeah. Look at what the big, large, smart, long-term investors are doing, like, like Lone Pine or Bailey Gifford, or, or uh, Andreas Halverson of Viking Global. That's a good, um, that's a good idea, and it it reminds me a lot of what I always say about the insiders too. That if you're wondering whether or not you should be buying a stock, I do, I go there and I look to see if any insiders are buying, especially if there's some kind of big sell-off, um, not like a coronavirus sell-off because most people, most of the insiders were not buying during the sell-off for various reasons, but like some other event happens or like the stock just sells off 20% on an earnings report that otherwise you thought was very good, but for whatever reason, the street was rejecting it. I go to, in there to see what the insiders are doing. If they feel the same outrage that you know the shares should not have sold off or the shares are cheap, the insiders will go in there and buy 
So it does, as you said, it boosts your conviction on your view of the company because the insiders clearly know what's going on behind the scenes. Right. And who knows so, the best? Who can know the company better? Right. You know, than you know, officers, um, and and they can't. It can't be a short-term trade for them. They can't do anything yeah. illegal. Like they they know a uh, you know an event is coming up and they buy before that. They're buying. They're really they really are buying for the long term. Right. And they, they have to hold a minimum of six months uh, mm -hmm. under the rules. So there's at least that. But usually, yeah, they're buying for even the longer term. So it's similar to your fund buying because those managers know these companies well, as you said as well, the same kind of uh, insight. So I don't see anything wrong with you know getting a little bit of reassurance from other sources that, hey, maybe I'm on the right track with this company and I'm not losing my mind because it is hard to buy if, you know, the street is rejecting it or that kind of thing. And there's some kind of big sell off or these kind of stocks that are just treading water. That insider buying at NVIDIA at around $500 was like a boost to the conviction, like, hey, you know, this guy's on the board, he's been around for a while, and he knows what's going on behind the scenes, yet he's still buying here at this level. So, yeah, and it's and and I would say, yeah, they know the company inside out and behind the scenes, as you say, but they also know all the information that's publicly available about the industry. It's just right. that they've they've studied it more, right? right? They've looked at the industry trends. Um, you know, let's say for a line in, you know, what is the market potential in emerging markets for uh, clear dental straighteners or for uh, for NVIDIA? What is what are the growth trends in artificial intelligence and data centers um, and mining and modeling data for corporations or robotics and automation? I mean, NVIDIA does so many things like I just uh, highlighted last night that. Um, they basically build these incredible toolboxes for any company to create their own robotics and create their own automation. So it's like a corporation can like off the shelf from NVIDIA buy something that will help them retool their factory or, you know, get new jobs done and create new productivity or enhance the productivity of, of their employees. Um, on another kind of strategy, what what kind of uh, strength do you put in, if if any, into what the covering analysts are saying about a certain company, or even if they downgrade from you know perform to underperform, or from buy to even a sell or something like that? If you're a long-term investor. Do I care what any of these covering analysts are, you know, ranking or rating the stock? I would say yes, <laughs> but with, with sort of a filter. And the filter is that once in a while you'll get a smart analyst who's who's done his or her homework and they'll stick their neck out and they'll be like, they'll have a high price target and, you know, revenue proje projection that's, you know, 25% over the rest of the street consensus. Um, but mostly they don't try and stick their neck out too much. So you sort of have to read between the lines. Now, there are two areas that I invest in, or three areas actually, that I have to rely on analysts because um, let's say you're, so the three areas would be biotechnology, 
semiconductors, and software. I mean, sorry for that. Hang on one second. <laughs> so you think about you think about those three areas. You or I, we can't be really in the weeds specialists in those areas. It's, right. it's just it's okay. just too much. Yeah. So you and and the analysts can't be experts in all three of those areas either. You really have to, when it comes to these industries like semiconductor software, or biotechnology, you have to be super specialized and really do your homework. So that's where I rely on them for, you know, what are they seeing in lots of different details? Cause they get into the nitty gritty. They're like, okay. I mean, everything from, um, you know, a biotechnology company, uh, you know, they're, they're coming up on, you know, phase two trial results or an FDA ruling, or they're going to do a stock offering. And then in semiconductors, oh my gosh, what a, what a complex industry that can be. I mean, there's so much, um, there's so many details about supply chains and who makes what for who. Um, and then software is, you know, they, they have to analyze who's, you know, who's buying this. You think about uh, SaaS, you know, software as a service, any, in the Fortune 1000, all of these companies have like over 50 different SaaS subscriptions. So these guys have to track all these trends and see which ones are picking up, you know, the most revenue growth on an annual recurring basis. And so that's where I really rely on the analysts. And then when I get to know an analyst and I have my favorites in software and I have uh, I have like two favorite analysts in software and I have about three in semiconductors. Once I get to know their style and their track record and their success, then I can really read between the lines. What are they saying? So. Um, you know, like Mark Lapacious from uh, Jeffries is great in semiconductors. Uh, William Stein um, of uh, of SunTrust, you know, those are great guys. Brent Bracelin in uh, in in software, uh, and then uh, SVB Lyric, which is the you know Silicon Valley Bank in in biotechnology, they're awesome. And and Jeffries has a good team too with Michael Yee. So you get to know them and read their research. It, it can help you, you know, decide, am I just trading this short term or is this something I can really hold and buy the dips on for three to five years? Yeah. No, well, that's good advice. Okay. So is that all the secret sauce? Is that all you that, I mean, that's pretty much it. This is okay. like, <laughs> like if you've done the homework and you want to keep your eyes on the prize, it helps to see what somebody's doing. How about David Tepper and Micron? I mean, yeah. David Tepper has... He was buying Micron at, you know, 30 bucks and 35 bucks. And just, you know, he, he ha had to endure a long period of sideways, many years, you know, as the, you know, the semiconductor cycle was, was crashing yet again. Yeah. And now he's been rewarded. So there, there, there are many large investors where if you look at their, at their 13 F filings are, do they keep adding to their position? If they keep adding to their position, you know, eight quarters in a row. That's a lot of conviction and, and they must see, um, you know, that the company has not reached its full potential and valuation. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Well, I feel like we've given, you know, some good insight to those who are wavering or want to be long, long only investors and hold for several years, but um, you know, kind of get freaked out or panic every once in a while that maybe this podcast will, will help them stay in there with companies that are still solid and, 
you know, have the growth potential and all those things. So let's recap some of the tickers here. We talked about quite a few companies, um, so I'm just going to list them. We talked a little bit about Facebook because we're coming up on the 10-year, the IPO there. Maybe some of you own it. I own it in my own portfolio, but I did not buy the IPO. I was dollar cost averaging on that one. Ticker FB. Then uh, my horrible RH investment, that's ticker RH. Kevin was in Align Tech, but panicked out of that during the coronavirus. ALGN, also similar for CrowdStrike, CRWD. Then we had NVIDIA. Kevin stayed in there, but my insider trader had to get out before this nice rally, unfortunately. NVDA is the ticker. Amazon, that's just been kind of uh, meandering for the last six months, not doing much. I also own that one in my own personal portfolio, but I, I did not buy the IPO on that one either. IPO'd in 1996. Amazon AMZN. And then there is Shopify. That one is busted out again after having some difficulties here in 2021. So I don't know how many of you stuck around in that one. Hey, hey, Tracy, if I can just interrupt yeah. you on that one. Even though I didn't follow uh, Steve Mandel at 300, like I said, I learned to buy it, like even at $1,000 and 1100 bucks because I just have greater conviction in it. So we just took, yesterday we took, uh, 35% gains on the move from 1150 to 1550, um, just on part of the position. Wow. And I'm still, I'm still holding, looking for 1700 there this year. Okay, it's really hard, I think, for most investors to be buying these stocks above a thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, it just is. But yeah. well, um, I mean, even if you buy five shares, you know, you're right. It, you know, it makes you do your homework. Oh, for sure. And yeah, you're going to have strong conviction if you're in these at, at that level. So Shopify again, S-H-O-P. And then we mentioned Micron there at the end. I own it in the value investor portfolio, but it hasn't done anything really since we added it a couple months ago. But we're waiting on those earnings, which are coming up at the end of June here in 2021. So ticker Micron M-U. And as always, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of The Market Edge as we're bringing you all of these hot topics. And there's a lot going on here in the summer of 2021. So you can get us on on Spotify. You can get us on Amazon Music. You can get us on Apple Podcasts. And as always, we're on SoundCloud. But be sure to get us somewhere. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.